McGee, will you bring that to the front, please? Tampax Compact is so discreet, only you'll know it's tampons. Well, I hope you brought enough for everyone. Enough for the girls. The small size, big protection. The one, the only, Tampax Compact. The audio you just heard was from a 2005 Tampax commercial in which two girls um, were passing tampons and showing how discreet the packaging was in which their teacher couldn't even recognize it as a tampon. Even though you are unable to see this commercial, you can clearly hear the stigma regarding menstruation. The need for products in your period to be discreet is one of the largest stigmas held um, against women and we will discuss that further in depth in our podcast the red thread this podcast examines the cultural and historical significance of menstruation we will be unraveling in the toxic rhetoric surrounding menstrual cycles as well as exploring the ways in which periods have been viewed and treated throughout time it's important we speak about this issue so we can bring attention to the lack of free products and education surrounding menstrual cycles. Hi, I'm Sophie. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to our podcast, The Red Thread, a podcast about toxic period discourse. When it comes to the sensitive topic of toxic menstrual discourse, it is important that we diagnose the different ways in which this has become stigmatized in our society. It is, it is even more important to propose solutions to destigmatize the natural phenomena of the female body. We will be conveying this in three sections, etiology, prognosis, and solution for our topic. We will begin with the etiology of toxic menstruation. In ancient times, menstruation was often perceived as a symbol of fertility and power. When a woman was menstruating, she was seen as sacred and they believed it brought good luck. However, as time went on and societies became more patriarchal, menstruation was viewed as sinful and dirty. In our society, we have this inherent belief that once women get their period, they are viewed as dirty and in some cultures, they are less valuable. So why is the stigma continued, and why do women feel the need to hide this from men? I'm going to play an audio from BBC News, where one reporter goes into the streets and asks men important questions regarding menstruation. Specifically, I will be playing the audio where the reporter asks men how feminine products are used. So finally, do guys understand the mechanics of using sanitary products? How does this work? That's obviously the new Apple I earphone piece. I know, like, you pull that and, like, do they then it comes the up. in the air. <laughs> I don't know what that does. Actually, they're both panty liners. Oh, right. Oh, right. The, this is an applicator. Correct. Oh, no, I've got a sister and everything. Then I, I only assume you clench and suck. <laughs> clench and suck, <laughs> girls, just so you know. Do you know what this is? Uh, I think, yeah, that's... I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a cup, and it's like a replacement for a tap. So what, the object of this exercise is I've, I've like... Inserted in the vagina. I haven't got a vagina to pull it. The men in this video struggle to understand the difference between a pad, a tampon, and are generally clueless about how these products work. 
This ignorance is played for laughs in the video, but it highlights a very real issue that many men do not understand or have never been educated about women's menstrual cycles and the products that women use during their period. This can lead to embarrassment and discomfort for women when they need to discuss their menstrual needs with men. This segment also reinforces the idea that men have not traditionally been involved in the conversation about menstruation, which has contributed to the taboo and shame surrounding the topic. By including men in the conversation and educating them about women's health issues, we are able to work towards breaking down these barriers and reducing the stigma surrounding menstruation. Welcome to our first share circle of the podcast where me and Sophia will be discussing our sex education history in public schools. So Sophie, did you have sex education at your school? I did, but it was kind of, it was interesting because in fifth grade we well, we were split up with sex education from fifth grade, sixth grade, and seventh grade, and that's where my sexual education stopped. And that was pretty peculiar because I remember we were always split up, so me and the rest of the girls my grade would be, um, we were only taught by our male PE teacher, and he was reading um, slides that he was given like by the state of you know mandated public school sexual education um we none of us learned how to insert a tampon none of us learned um, how to use a pad we learned a little bit about what the uterus was but we didn't really get to see the anatomy because that was considered taboo and it was considered like too sexually explicit um so i didn't get a good sexual education i had to figure out most things for myself and I'm still doing that because it's like nobody can talk about it like we said previously in the podcast um and yeah and Sophia how were your um experiences with sexual education in school were those like similar or different mine was a bit different we started sex education in fifth grade and that was co-ed so boys and girls were in the same like same building and so I think it was taught within a week I don't exactly remember how many times a week we had it but I remember we did a section where we learned we had like a day where we learned about the boys anatomy and like I got to learn like what a penis was what a ball what balls were and there was like a little gross like cartoon picture of a penis on the board (laughs) um but I think my school at least like fifth grade level I would say they did a pretty good job I think as I got older, they didn't do a great job. The only time I remember I saw, I saw a tampon demonstration once, and that was in my fifth grade class. And they pulled out the tampon, and it was a, it was a girl and a boy. We had a girl and a boy teacher that would teach um, sex education in fifth grade. And she held up the tampon, and I remember she, um, like, she didn't show you how to insert it. The only thing I remember clearly she did was, like, popped it out, and she was like, look how much it can hold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she, like put the tampon in the water and then she took it out and everyone was like oh my god like that's like and she's like yeah it holds all your blood and that's you know she explained that but like once I got to middle school like such education for me stopped like seventh grade I would say and that was just like kind of like any last minute questions you still had about sex education but like we really didn't talk about much like it was never anything about anatomy it was kind of just like 
oh, you know what? Actually, I remember in fifth grade, we did talk about sex. That's when I found out like how babies are made. Um, and they allowed us to ask any questions we want. I remember some kid asked, like, do you, like, they were like, yeah, like, a female puts, uh, I mean, a female gets the penis put inside her, and then the sperm goes to the egg, and such and such, and, like, kids would ask, like, do you have to do it on the bed? Like, stuff like, like, just curious questions, which I thought was a great opportunity, because, like, kids are curious. It's not, like, purposefully sexual questions, and I feel like, they sh- like that should be allowed more like sixth and seventh grade once I got to middle school it was completely different like it was not talked about at all and I feel like they kind of they kind of sexualized it more mm-hmm. compared to when I was in elementary school like they didn't really want to talk about it too much like a exactly. lot of the teachers which I thought was weird exactly well gathering from what we have both shared about our sexual education histories in um, our schools uh, I have understood that um, sexual education varies from school to school and that tends to be a pretty big problem especially in the United States when sexual education especially um, menstruation tends to be um, very stigmatized in the US Uh, and from what I've gathered in our conversations is that we need to uh, address the issues of um, the varying sexual education classes and the downfalls of um, the teachers being very vague uh, about what they're teaching. Uh, And so in this next section, we will be addressing how uh, men especially uh, should be more educated on women's anatomy and uh, vice versa. And so one of the best ways that we can do this, especially in public schools, is um, creating more uh, co-ed sexual education classes for students. Co-ed sex education will help men understand the physical and emotional aspects of menstruation. As Shira McKeeliff points out in Everyday Feminism, Many men feel embarrassed or uncomfortable when discussing menstruation because they lack a comprehensive understanding of the menstrual cycle. This lack of knowledge can lead to negative attitudes and misconceptions about menstruation, which perpetuates the stigma surrounding it. By including men in the conversation about menstruation, they can gain knowledge and understand the physical and emotional aspects of menstruation. diving in to the prognosis of toxic period discourse. In the United States, there has been a long-standing cultural taboo surrounding menstruation, which has led to a significant stigma around the topic. However, over the past decade or so, there has been a growing movement to challenge this stigma and to educate people about menstruation. Some of the positive changes that have been made include more open discussions around menstruation in schools, workplaces, and in the media. Many menstrual products have also become more widely available, and there have been efforts to eliminate taxes on menstrual products, which are often referred to as tampon taxes, and are referred to as the pink tax, which um, encompasses everything that is related to feminine hygiene. 
While progress has been made, there is still much work to be done to fully eliminate the stigma around menstruation in the United States. It is important to continue to raise awareness about this issue to promote menstrual education and access to menstrual products and to challenge the harmful cultural attitudes and beliefs around menstruation. With continued efforts, it is hopeful that the prognosis for eliminating menstrual stigma in the U.S. will continue to improve. The stigma around menstruation can lead to social exclusion and discrimination against women. A study by Gilman and Gillum found that in Western societies, menstruation is often associated with disgust and shame. This leads to negative attitudes towards women who menstruate. Additionally, the stigma around menstruation can have profound psychological implications for women. A study by Chrysler and Gorman found that negative attitudes towards menstruation can lead to body dissatisfaction, shame, and anxiety among most women. The study also found that women who reported high levels of menstrual stigma were more likely to have negative attitudes towards their menstrual cycle, which impacts their overall well-being. We are now going to open up our chat circle, um, and me and Sophia are going to speak about how we have dealt with toxic menstrual discourse and how the stigma has affected us in our personal lives. So, Sophie, how would you say in your personal experiences that stigma has affected you? Well, I would say that um, mainly, I mean, the biggest part of the stigma is just like, it feels really lonely, especially when you, like, I started mine pretty late, and even then, I 100% did not have the um, knowledge I should have possessed about my own body, because that wasn't taught in my sex ed classes, like we previously mentioned, and um, it was pretty hard, like, trying to navigate all of that. And I have, like, most of my friends feel the same way or have had similar experiences. And it really depends on um, who you have in your life, especially when it comes to your parents. Like, who is there for you? Who is teaching you this stuff? um, And how are they going to support you? A lot of people feel like they can never talk to their parents about this. Um, And even for me, I kind of just, like, my mom grabbed a pad and kind of just threw it at me through the um, semi-open door of the bathroom and I had to figure out how to use tampons. I just didn't feel comfortable asking her any of that because I just felt gross just like um, the patriarchy wants us to feel. And so yeah, yeah, that was my first experience with it and obviously uh, we're all still dealing with that and like, you know, it kind of feels like a very like quote-unquote girl thing where it's like you need to talk to another girl about this even if you feel even comfortable with that yeah I agree and Sophia now touching on your own experiences like how has um menstrual discourse toxic menstrual discourse impacted your life um I would say it's affected my life in fully understanding the way a period works I also didn't get my period late and that kind of was stressing me out because all my friends had their period in middle school. It was like seventh, eighth grade, and like every girl I knew was getting their period. And I was like, well, where's mine? Like, I want, you know, I would get, I remember I would get horrible, horrible cramps, but no blood. And honestly, that just made me more mad because I'm like, 
I'm hurting so much and I can't, there's nothing I can do about it. Like, there's not even blood coming out. And then when I finally did get my period, um, I got it in the middle of the night and I had told my mom in the morning and she was like, okay, cool. Like she was more mad that I bled on her sheets um, than caring about my period. Um, and I feel like also I, I didn't get, although I grew up like in an old girl household, like everybody had a different period, obviously, because no woman's period is the same. But um, for my period, it would just be like, it would be crazy long. Like I was like, why, my mom would get so mad at me which I don't, I don't understand why she'd be mad at me. She'd be mad that my period would be for so long and just be like, I don't understand why you gotta miss school, mm-hmm. this and that. And like, it also like, that messed me up mentally because it made me think that like something was wrong with me, that my period wasn't normal. And like, I remember I would download like period, I had like period tracker apps <laughs> yeah. and like, they'd be little chat rooms and like you, I, that was like the only place I would feel comfortable asking questions because I was not like my friends didn't want to really talk about it like that my mom didn't really want to talk about it like that so I didn't really teachers didn't talk about it really so like I didn't really have a space to talk about it and like I'm sure you've dealt with that at school too where like it hurts so bad like you're getting the worst cramps ever and like all you want to do is go home and you can't say anything yeah you can't you're just like you're irritable I get like really hot and sweaty and then like before I got on like I got birth controls and like later we can touch on the whole birth control thing and the stigma surrounding that as well and women's and their periods but um yeah it was just it was really hard for me so I think that's lack of education on women's periods and the fact that they can vary and be different has really affected me because I'm still learning about periods to this day and how mine works. Yes. Yeah. As Sophia mentioned in her personal story, uh, we believe that Birth control is uh, an incredible uh, or incredibly important part uh, of toxic menstrual discourse, uh, and it is important that we take some time in this podcast to explain how those stigmas are correlated and um, create even bigger issues for women. So, the stigma surrounding birth control is closely linked to the stigma surrounding menstruation. As both are related to women's reproductive health, society's um, stigma and perception around menstruation can impact women's access to and um, use of birth control methods. Women who experience menstrual stigma may also experience contraceptive stigma which can lead to unintended pregnancies and adverse health outcomes. Studies have shown that negative attitudes towards birth control are associated with restrictions on access to contraception and provision of misinformation about birth control methods, um, which uh, came from Huber et al.'s article. Uh, these restrictions can lead to unintended pregnancies, increased risks, risk of sexually transmitted infections, and reduced control over reproductive decisions. Additionally, women who experience contraceptive stigma are less likely to use effective contraception and more likely to have unintended pregnancies. Therefore, addressing the stigma surrounding menstruation and birth control is essential for pro- promoting women's reproductive rights, mental health, and physical health outcomes. 
Now we are going to dive into our last section in which we will be discussing uh, possible solutions for uh, toxic menstrual discourse. Uh, the stigma surrounding menstruation is a critical issue that affects women in the United States. To end the stigma, there must be a concerted effort to address the root causes and promote a more positive and inclusive attitude towards menstruation. Our two proposed solutions to end the stigma include free sanitary products and broader sexual education with more focus on women's menstrual cycles. One of the most significant barriers to addressing the menstrual stigma is the lack of access to sanitary products, which are essential for maintaining menstrual hygiene. Women who do not have access to sanitary products, also called period poverty, may experience some shame, embarrassment, as well as social exclusion. Providing free sanitary products in public places like schools, work, and public restrooms is a crucial step towards ending menstrual stigma. This approach has been implemented in several countries, including Scotland and New Zealand, with positive results. A study by Trinas and colleagues found that providing free menstrual products in schools increased girls' attendance and participation in school activities. By providing free sanitary products in public places, this can not only address menstrual stigma, but can also promote girls' education and empowerment. Our last solution to end menstrual stigma is to increase sexual education about menstruation. Many girls and women feel embarrassed and ashamed of their periods due to the lack of understanding and information about menstrual cycles. A study by Severi found that comprehensive menstrual education can improve girls' attitudes towards menstruation as well as reduce menstrual stigma. That being the case, integrating extensive menstrual education into schools can be an effective way to promote positive attitudes towards menstruation. Now you may be asking yourself how you may be able to get engaged in this topic. It is important that you reach out to your employer to ask for free sanitary products in the bathrooms and make sure that they're supplied on a regular basis so everybody has enough to use uh, when they need them. Uh, as well as reaching out to your local lawmakers to provide more sanitary products in public spaces. Most importantly, let your, public, let your fellow women know they are heard, respected, and have someone to lean on during their cycle and whenever they have questions. This is Sophie. And this is Sophia. And thank you so much for listening to the Red Thread Podcast. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.